0: If, if you are new here, this is your first time to join us in person or log on, we're in a series now where we're unpacking what we believe is a vision that God has for this church. And so if you're wondering kind of what kind of church is this and what's it about and what are they excited about and what are they working towards, you're in a good place. You come in a, at a great, a great time. If you may be looking for a church. And you want to find out what's important to this church. This is a great uh, season to be in. Because we've got a mission that has not changed. Our mission is still to lead others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you'll hear us talk about this triangle. We simply talk about the idea that life is found in Christ with one another exhibiting godly uh, relationships to each other and on mission and purpose. And out of that mission, over the course and through the the quarantine as we began that two two years ago now, that we went into a time of lots of prayer and lots of discernment and lots of study. And out of that emerged what we consider five commitments that God's placed on the, the leadership and the hearts of the leadership here. And these five commitments are what we're simply calling vision five. It's the way that we're going to tangibly live out this vision. And we've been going through them. And if you've missed one, I really encourage you to go back and and listen to the previous uh, sermons online. They're on our YouTube channel. They're also on our podcast. You can find them there. But the quick review is this. We begin with everyone lead one. Everyone that's a follower of Jesus participate in leading someone else into relationship with Jesus. There's something about when you share what God's done for you. It's not that you've got all the answers. It's not that your life is perfect. It's not that you're some stellar example and model of how to live life. But it's the fact that Jesus did something in your life. It's the fact that we are always witnesses. It's not something that we turn on and turn off. But we continue just to say, here's what Jesus did with someone Like me, and then that would naturally lead to this idea of this harvest of baptisms. We're praying for God to deliver a harvest of baptisms, and baptism is that moment when someone goes into water with the declaration that they are now going to live in the name of Jesus. Their sins, that which is broken in them, that which is all messed up as far as our relationships and the, the shame and the guilt and the regret that so many of us try to carry around, that's washed away. And we receive the Holy Spirit. And so we are praying that God would see a harvest of baptisms happen in us and among us and through us here. And we're praying over these next five years that it would be such a common place that we see baptism after baptism. We celebrate them in a big way that that would be a sign of what God is doing, a Acts chapter 2 type moment all over again. And then that led us to what we talked about last week, a diverse church. Because what we're not praying for is, Lord, send us a bunch of people that think just like we think, look just like we look, talk like we talk, act like we act, because that would be really, really easy and great, wouldn't it? There's just one problem. It wouldn't be a church at that point. It would be some kind of club. It would be some kind of organization. maybe may be great to belong to. But God's kingdom is all tribes, all nations, all tongues, all up and down the socioeconomic spectrum. So we're praying that God would help us to move outside of our comfort zones outside of the tendency to want to just make everything about me and become a diverse church that would reflect not only the kingdom of God, but also the community that we live in and exist in. And so that brings us to today's, the one that you can see, the extra mile. Now, you may be familiar with the phrase, phrase, he went the extra mile. It's become very common in our language today. A lot of times when we use that phrase, though, we use it to mean somebody, they worked really hard. You know, they gave all they had at the game, and then in the late in the fourth quarter, they went the extra mile and really pushed through. Or they really worked harder at that on that project and went the extra mile and achieved at the end. You may not be aware that this is actually a a phrase that we will use in our common language that comes straight from Jesus himself. So anytime somebody's using this phrase, they're quoting Jesus. Now, if you've got somebody using that phrase, maybe you can impress them one day, hey, you're quoting Jesus. That's where that came from. And I'll show you, in Matthew chapter 5, in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about how should we treat each other. How should you go through this life? And he drops this line in there that you see on the screen. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then go with them two miles. Now, in that context, or actually out of context, it sounds real strange, doesn't it? What Jesus is saying is he's referring to a very common practice that all the people that first heard that sermon would have been familiar with. And just a quick reminder, Jesus is preaching, he has a crowd of basically, mostly, peasant Jewish farmers. And they're just scraping by to make life survivable. And he is referring to a practice, because at that time the Jewish people were an occupied country, because Rome, with their vast military might and their reach that went around the world had occupied them and taken them over. And they would divide up all their road systems with these markers. And they would put mile markers, just like we have mile markers today. In fact, we have some of these mile markers still that date all the way back into Roman times. And just every mile there was a certain kind of marker. Some of them were fancy and ornate. Some of them were plain and simple. But what was true was, and what was the law was, is that any Roman officer, any soldier in the military on business traveling from one place to the next could inscript a Jewish peasant at will to have them carry their gear. And the rule was, the practice was, they had to carry it from one mile marker to the next. And so a Roman squad or platoon or legion or whatever is marching marching along. They're moving troops from one place to the next, and they're kind of tired of carrying their own packs. They see a field of farmers, they call them over, they're obligated to then carry the, their packs while the Roman soldiers get a break. And so Jesus has the, the tenacity, the, the gall in many ways, to look at this group of peasant farmers that's hearing this sermon, and by the way, they didn't love this practice. Can you imagine, you're out mowing your front yard? Somebody comes along and says, here's my duffel bag, let's go. You're like, you're on your own, buddy. Here's your duffel bag, get off my property. Jesus tells them, when someone forces you to go one, you go two. And what Jesus is telling them in that moment is, revolution is coming, but it's not coming the way you think it's coming. Can you imagine the effect on the Roman soldier that has done this practice more than once and he's always got the same result, that disgruntled, embittered, I'm angry at you, if I could put a knife in your back, I would in a moment response. And one day he comes along and he summons over this farmer instead of throwing down his hoe and marching over to the soldier, he comes running over and says, How can I help? He says, Well, need you carry the pack? And he throws it on. They begin to walk along the road. And instead of being bittered, this farmer is now saying, So what's your name? Where are you from? Tell me your story. Do you like being in the military? Do you enjoy that? Tell me more. You got kids? And they get into a conversation, at the end of the mile marker, now the soldier's going, well, thank you very much. Let me take the pack back. And then the guy says, hey, I'm good. Let's go another mile. That's what Jesus is asking them to do. And so we're just calling this part of the extra mile. We're going to be aware of those around us And because we're so good at math, we said, well, if you go one mile, then you go an extra mile, that's two miles. That's math I can do. And so we have taken a map of Temple and drawn a two-mile radius around it. And we said, here's the target for us as a church collectively. We want to pay attention to all that goes on in these two miles, not because there's something magical about it, But what it's doing, it's at least helping us to focus in and start saying, who's our neighbors? Who who has God put us into a context around? Because this idea of being a good neighbor is really critical to following Jesus. Now, sometimes we get it kind of glossed over because we think it's all about following a certain set of rules. But what Jesus is asking us to be, he says, as you come under my name, as you follow me, I want you to be good neighbors. So now we go to another phrase that Jesus has given us. And so if you have your Bibles open, I want you to be in Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to unpack one of my favorite stories and show you how this relates to who we are collectively as a church in our vision and who I believe Jesus is calling you to be individually in your world. Luke chapter ten, verse twenty-five through seven. You just heard Warren and Cole read this together. We're gonna walk back through certain parts, parts of it together. First part's this on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So Luke, who wrote this, is telling us this moment happened. And he says that an expert in the law, and so there's a very likely possibility that this guy was a priest. An expert in the law. He spent all of his time studying the law. And I want you to understand this. When they say expert in the law, most likely this guy had memorized not a verse or two, but the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he has it down cold. Cold. And so if you were ever in a discussion with him, you could just start calling out reference numbers. You know, chapter, verse, chapter, verse, and he'd be letting you know what that said. And he had it memorized, and he'd spent so much time with that. We would all be very, very impressed. And so when it says expert in the law, that's just not that he's read some books. But he has dedicated his life to it. But now he shows up around Jesus, and Jesus was perceived as a rabbi an itinerant preacher, he's checking him out because it says he stood up to test Jesus. Now this goes on a lot in the Gospels, and it never turns out well for the person trying to issue the test. And so he throws Jesus this question. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this is a very orthodox question. He has an answer in his mind already. He wants to see if Jesus gives the right answer, and so it's a litmus test. So Jesus says this, what's written in the law? How do you read it? See, he already knows that he's an expert in the law. And so it's really just turning it back on He says, what do you read? Next slide. He answered, and this is the expert in the law again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. He goes back and he quotes a verse out of the book of Deuteronomy. This is really a core verse for all the Jewish people. To love God, they're the people of God, and so they're supposed to love God with all that they had. And then this other one has been added to it now, and this comes out of Leviticus. So he's going right to Scripture. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself so he gives the answer he wants to hear from jesus and jesus says this to him you've answered correctly it's great he's already turned it around on him good job glad you came prepared for the test yeah and and he may have felt a little smug at this point you might because everybody else is watching him you know they're they're seeing him. yeah he, he quoted it well he said it clearly Do this, and you'll live. Do this, and you'll have the life that we're talking about. But there's something still in him, and maybe there's something in you. Maybe there's something in all of us that just can't let it rest with that. He needs more of a definition, and so he asked this question. And look at his motives. See, we we don't have to suspect his motives, because Luke tells us he wanted to Justify himself. We all struggle with a big temptation to say, let me explain myself. Let me tell you why I'm right. And he's going to attempt to justify, make all the scales balance by his own effort. And so he's going to throw one more question back to Jesus. because And he says, who is my neighbor? Now, what he wants to do is he wants to limit that circle. Because that answer, love the Lord your God with everything you have, he's on board with that, and that basically says, and then love your neighbor with everything that you have also, suddenly it's like, okay, that gets real tangible. That gets real concrete. That gets, I mean, like, you can see if I'm doing that or not. And so he wants to draw a real tight circle right in the middle of it. And what he wants to do is he goes, okay, the people that I'm most comfortable around, my family, that's going to be my neighbor. The people that live on the left side, I mean, not the guys on the right because they're kind of crazy, but the ones on the left side, they're my neighbor. And he wants to make sure that it's only those that are pre-approved and don't stretch him at all. And so he asked the question, and who is Who am I responsible for, Jesus? Because it can't be everybody. Come on. Let's be practical, Jesus. So Jesus, in a brilliant way, goes in and telling stories. And so what you have in the rest of the passage is Jesus giving a sermon illustration in response to this question. And look what he does. And this is this is just incredible and has so many meanings for us. He says, in reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem. To Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, this already starts off with drama. A man, I want you to pay attention though, he doesn't define who the man is. He doesn't tell us his race, his nationality, he doesn't tell us his economic status, he doesn't tell us his business, he doesn't tell us anything other than his gender. He says, Amen. He wants this man to be anybody possible. Because he's about to name some names. But he's going to leave this person open. They stripped him, beat him, and they went away leaving him half dead. And somebody else comes along. A priest, and again, the first here, here is this, would have said, Oh, and remember, the expert of the law just might have been a priest. So suddenly he shows up in the parable. Now that would be like me getting up here and preaching and talking about a story that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. I said, you know, suppose there's somebody, I don't know, just like you with your name that did this. That's what he's pointing to. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw a man, saw the man. And everybody leans in, wondering what he's about to do. And he says, and he passed by on the other side. Second person comes down. So to a Levite, this would have been one of the workers in the temple. Every person he uses up to this point is a church person. So the Levite came down and to the place, and he saw him, and he passes by on the other side. Now the third person comes down, but a Samaritan. Now, we know the parable as the good Samaritan, so we've associated a lot of good feelings towards this person. We, Some of us are already aware of this is kind of the hero of the story, at least the one that comes out in the most positive light. When Jesus first said the story, the expert in the law and anybody else that would have been hearing the story, when he said, and a Samaritan came down, their thought would have immediately been, I bet he finishes the guy off. Because the Samaritans were the wrong race, they were the wrong religion, they were the wrong politics, They were hated by the Jews. And consequently, the the Samaritans hated the Jews. It's amazing how contagious bitterness is, isn't it? And so, we're not talking a few years back, but generationally, these people were at odds. In fact, it's often said that a Jewish person on a trip would intentionally, remember, walking somewhere, would go miles out of their way so they simply did not take the shortest road that went through a Samaritan territory, lest they come in contact with this person. We we have another story where Jesus breaks all kinds of social norms because he's sitting by a well one day. It's in the heat of the day, and a woman comes out to the well, and we're known that she's a Samaritan woman. So she doesn't have the right politics, the right gender, the right race, and she definitely doesn't have the right background. And Jesus enters into a conversation with her and shocks everybody that knows him. So when he says a Samaritan came along, everybody thought the guy's a goner. And the Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. That's a day's wages. Not an insignificant amount of money. To look at, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, and said, When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think, this is Jesus again, he steps out of the parable, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He's now thrown the question right back to the expert of the law. And look at his response. This expert of the law, he cannot bring himself to say the Samaritan. It is choking him to say that. So he says, "The one who had mercy on him." And then Jesus says, "Go and do likewise." What Jesus is doing, the man comes to him and says, "Who's my neighbor?" Who am I responsible for? Because I don't want to really spend a lot of energy for people I'm not responsible for. And Jesus flips the whole thing around him and says, Who will you be a neighbor to? How are you going to live this out? So the Samaritan comes along and sees the guy and he sees him half dead. And did you notice that all three of them saw him? All three of them looked at him. And so Jesus is looking at us because he says, go and do likewise. You live this way. Th- this is how you go through your day. This is how you go through your life. And what most of us are going to have to do, and here's the very first takeaway that I want to have, is that we need to develop eyes to see. We need to see a need. We need to be able to scanning. Look, it says the priest went and saw. He saw it. Ignored it. The Levite saw it. Ignored it. The Samaritan sees it. And the first thing that we need to be able to do is we need to see people around us. That's one of the reasons that I'm so excited about this this two miles because it's at least making us as a church collective. We're going, okay, what is in this circle? And we're starting to connect and have partnerships with organizations that have been there all along. Churches that have been there all along. But now we're seeing them. We've got God's pointing us in a certain direction. So see the needs around us. And then unlike the priest and the Levite that said it's too much or it's not safe and move around, we want to be a place where we see a need and we meet a need. It's just that simple. We want to start being responsive to The things that when we see the needs, we start meeting the needs. Not because we think we've got all the answers. Not because we think we're smarter and we've got it figured out. But because we serve a God that asks us to go and do likewise. Mercy. I've been asked by several, is the leadership or the elders really behind this? Are they committed to this vision that we have? And I'm going to tell you wholeheartedly yes. Back in October, as they were praying over this and setting this year's budget, they felt convicted and led that they were going to set aside a certain dollar amount that we'd never set aside before just so we can begin meeting the needs that we're encountering and blessing and having an impact in the community. And because of your generosity as a congregation, because you have been so faithful to giving, they intentionally set aside out of our budget for this year $50,000 for us to have an impact in this community. Because we are going to look and discover needs, and then we're going to meet the needs. And that's going to require one more thing from all of us. And what I want you to remember is that when the Samaritan came up on the guy, it was not a pretty sight. It was dangerous for him to stop. Notice how they left him half dead, which means that the beating was still fresh. And so most likely the robbers were still nearby. In fact, it was not an uncommon practice to leave the victim there, go hide, and wait to ambush the next one that came along to give give help. And so, but he gets off of his donkey, he inconveniences himself, he goes, and the guy is stripped naked. He's bleeding and bruised and broken. And he begins to tend his wounds. And he dresses them. And this is messy. he puts him on his donkey, and he takes him. And then he doesn't know what his financial obligation is going to be, fully. And so he pays one bill and says, "If there's more, I'll come back." I mean, can you imagine leaving your credit card at the hotel and said, "Ring up what you need. I'll be back in two weeks. No. So we're going to develop a courage that comes from the Holy Spirit to move towards the messy. And when we do that, we're not going to get it right every time. We're not going to get it perfect every time. As you do that, you're not going to get it right every time. You're not going to get it perfect every time. Because the challenge of this is for us not just to do it as a church collectively, but for you to go the extra mile in all of your places that you live and exist. As you look around you and you start seeing needs and saying, I can do something to meet that need. I may not know what, but I'm willing to move towards it. Is it going to be messy? Is it going to be awkward? Is it going to be scary? Is it going to be intimidating? Yes. But remember, Jesus says, go and do likewise. So I have two questions for you. How will you do good? In your neighborhood. How, how can you do good in your neighborhood? Some of this may be as simple as practical of you will finally meet your neighbors. Second question, how will you bring grace to your workplace? In the places that you move through, how will you be grace and mercy in Jesus in those places. So together as a congregation, we're gonna really start paying attention and try to own the extra mile around us. But that doesn't limit all of our effort to just what happens in two mile area. Wherever you are, you're part of that, this church. So how will you do good in your neighborhood and how will you bring grace to your workplace? And yes, this is intimidating. Yes, this is scary. I'm going to end on this. Where do you find the courage to do something like this? Where do you find the motivation to do something like this, to live this way? Because remember, when Jesus first said the words, when he forces you to go one mile, you go two, nobody thought that made any sense. It only makes sense, and we can only move this direction when we understand where Jesus is in this story. Some of you have read the story for years, and you know that Jesus is in the story. Jesus writes himself right in the story, and here's how. Remember, he gives very clear descriptions to the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. The one person he doesn't give any description to is the man. He just says, "Amen." Why? Because that could be anybody. And who that is? It's you. And it's me. Because what Jesus is really telling the story of here is that when I was at my broken moment, my bloodiest, my filthiest, my most shameful, my most regretful, and everybody else had given up on me and left me half dead. The church had walked on by. The good Samaritan. The good shepherd. The one that owed me nothing the one that did not have to take responsibility for me, the one that if from, you looked at it from a certain point of view, I would have been the enemy of, steps in, tends to my wounds, and pays the price. Do you see Jesus in the story? The Good Samaritan is a story of what Jesus did for me and what Jesus did for me for you, and aren't you so grateful he didn't just pass by? And when we understand that, there's the motivation to go the extra